FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is uh, Wednesday the 20th of October and another overcast London. The seasons <laughs> have definitely changed. Yep. And uh, I am again joined by Kerry and Theo uh, this week, where we're going to be going through, obviously, the news, the index, indexes, and what's been happening behind the scenes in those freight and commodity markets. Um, but what have we seen this week? Well, China sealed its control over the Greek port of Piraeus after another share sale by the Port Authority. Their business leaders have warned that the UK supply chain crisis is set to last until at least 2023. Chinese developer Cynic has defaulted as Evergrande's uh, deadline looms. The UK government has set out plans to attract £90 billion in private sector investment and secure 440,000 jobs in the green projects over the next decade. This is obviously <laughs> head of mm-hmm. the COP meeting in, I think, yep. just under two weeks now. Singapore launched quarantine-free travel to 10 countries, and production curbs in China are putting pressure on the supply of aluminium alloys, especially a key product for uh, the car-making industry. And scientists are anxiously tracking a descendant of the Delta coronavirus, which is responsible for a growing proportion of COVID-19 cases in the UK and could be more infectious than the original Delta variant. So uh, ending on good news and <laughs> going into usual. winter. Yep. <laughs> Property defaults and Delta variant spreads. Okay. Hmm, I think you've written the description for this podcast already, haven't you? You don't need to listen to the rest. Exactly. There you go. There's the summary. But looking at indexes, so with all those news events going on, everything else is happening. What has been happening in those products? Well, Brent, we've seen it move up slightly. We've got up 2% to 8504, closing FIS's report last night. This is obviously Tuesday the 12th versus Tuesday the 19th of October. On the high sulfur fuel oils, basically a non-mover on the 3.5% ROP, 46.465. And the Sing 380 down 1.5%, 482.65. Uh, the point fives have risen though, 2.6% and 2.3% rot and sing respectively. Uh, the rot closing in on that 600 mark and the sing is just pushed over $602.63 closing FIS support last night. And the high fives, the big movers of the week, plus 17% on the rot high five uh, up to 116 and the sing high five up to 120, 18.8%. Well, that's a big move. But uh, Kerry, the freight, what have we seen there? Well, some uh, some opposite moves on the Cape size five uh, TC. We saw a drop of nineteen thousand five hundred eighty dollars. That's down to fifty nine nine five five. A drop of twenty four point six percent week on week. Panamax four TC actually up in the past week though at thirty six one five eight. That's a rise of two thousand three hundred forty four or six point nine percent. And Theo, you've got the iron ore stuff. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, the iron ore. Uh, yesterday, plat 62% was at $123.50, which is down $5 week on week, which is close to 4%. The uh, 65% fast markets uh, settled index at $147.10, which is down $5.20, which is about 3.4% week on week. And the uh, spread 65-62 uh, settled at $23.60, which is down $0.20 cents week on week. And on the tankers, TC2 up 30% to 130 uh, if you've got good maths, you can tell what it was last week. And the TC5, uh, 123.93, closing up 18.8%. On the T3C, the v- very large crew carriers, we've got up 0.3.5%, uh, 41.82 closing. And TD25, 32.9% up, 136.25. 
And to round off all those indexes, looking at the carbon markets, which we've been added on for several weeks now to keep you in touch with what's happening there. Uh, the EUA future, that's compulsory European market, December 21 was pricing at 56 euros and DEC 22 was at 56.50, so off slightly. And the GEO, uh, DEC 21 was at $6.30 and the NGO, uh, DEC 21 at $8.20, fairly steady on those uh, voluntary ones. But in terms of what we've seen in these markets, so Theo, why don't we start you off for this week uh, on what's been happening behind the scenes in those iron ore and the kind of ferrous complex. No worries. I mean, iron ore futures have seen slum, some slight gains, uh, but the uh, bearish market output, uh, outlook for reduced steel output and slow economic activity continues to be the main factor currently. Um, a record drop in Chinese steel output seen in Hebei's steel PMI this week, which fell to a 19-month low at 43 in September. That's according to the Hebei Multilogical Industry Association. The declining PMI factors um, favour new, uh, less new orders for steel mills based in High Bay, which is the country's top steel producer, amid ongoing steel output curves and power rationing policy implemented in the province. The country's average steel production capacity fell to 83.5% in September, which is down from 85.3% in August. Uh, regarding steel, Chinese uh, daily construction steel volumes hit their lowest level in seven and a half months last week, signaling the start to winter's demand destruction. An announcement was made by the Chinese Ministry of Information and Technology ordering steel mills in Beijing, Hebei and Tianjin to ration output by 30% from the 1st of January to the 15th of March 2022 versus the same period as 2021. Um, in other news, uh, on Friday, Rio Tinto dropped its uh, financial year 21 guidance from uh, 325 to 340 million tonnes to 320 to 325 million tonnes. This news doesn't really have much of an impact on the effect since uh, Q3 is now behind us and the Australian and Brazilian shipments are hitting a sweet spot at the moment. Uh, volumes of being shipped out by the producers are pretty good and arriving at the Chinese ports and now they're completely dwarfing the uh, offtakes at the ports. Um, overall, also, uh, Vale announced its Q321 um, production, and its uh, production rose 18.1% on the quarter and 0.8% on the year to 89.4 million tonnes, mainly due to its uh, production recovery plans and better weather. Vale has decided to maintain that uh, production guidance for 20. 21, which is uh, 315 to 335 million tonnes. Um, in other news also, um, uh, slanting towards the carbon side, uh, Rio Tinto this week said it will invest 7.5 billion in projects to decarbonise its assets over the next decade and help to drive a 50% reduction in its operational emissions by 2030. So Rio has pledged to uh, reduce its scope one and two emissions by 15% by 2025 strengthening its climate uh, targets ahead of the COP26 climate summit, which starts in uh, Glasgow later this month. The company had previously targeted a 15% drop in absolute emissions by 2030 relative to the 2018 levels. Rio has already set a goal to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions from its operations by 2050. It has been less ambitious with its scope, with, uh, with its target on its uh, scope three emissions, which cover pollution caused by the transportation and customer use of its products, which make up, makes up the bulk of the uh, 
company's output uh, carbon footprint. I should explain scope one, two, three again, actually, because that's going to be talked about a lot um, in the coming months. So when, when Rio is talking about scope one, that refers to the direct emissions from owned or controlled sources. So, for example, their building sites. Uh, scope two covers indirect emissions from generation of purchased electricity. And scope three, like I mentioned before, covers all other indirect emissions that occur in a company's value chain. So these include procurement and shipping, as well as the end users' emissions. Um, in the, the other main miners, FMG set a new benchmark for the industry earlier this month with a target for net scope three emissions by 20, 2040. So it plans to achieve this by becoming a major green uh, energy producer and working to develop the uh, technology to, to decarbonize the steelmaking process. And finally, BHP said it will target net zero greenhouse gas emissions from its direct suppliers and the shipments of its products by 2050, but did stop short of extending it to the steelmaking customers due to what it describes as technical challenges facing the industry. So BHP's scope emissions were 402.5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent in the year ending June 30. And that's more than the total emissions of the UK and accounts for 96% of the company's overall emissions. So scope three is the one that all the uh, miners are... Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, Theo, because we know that Rio, for example, has already signed a number of long-term contracts for LNG dual-fuel cape-sized vessels um, to try and reduce their shipping emissions. I guess the question is, will the other miners all follow uh, and what fuel will they choose for their own cape-sized vessels? But uh, uh, but uh, something to watch there very carefully as we uh, focus a little bit more on these uh, these emissions targets, as you say, for the scope three emissions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been I've been speaking to a couple of main ship uh, um, ship company shipping companies, and they're telling me their customers, which are the large miners, are now demanding that their voyages are carbon neutral. Absolutely, and I think we can expect that to continue. Yeah. The, the problem is only you know how do we affect that? So uh, you know um, um, that is something that uh, on the futures market we can certainly help with here at FIS, but. Uh, but uh, in terms of choosing which fuels to use to reduce the, the physical carbon and which, uh, which offsets to use, um, then, uh, then that's uh, something I think everyone's still examining, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Especially when you're going to get to a sense of if everyone's going to do that, then yeah. this um, futures market in the carbon is going to go absolutely <laughs> mental. Exactly. So, exactly. Oh, I want this, I want carbon neutral. I'd like my toothpaste carbon neutral. Uh, and also, also contact FIS for their voluntary carbon uh, um, credits as well. Yeah, and get in before everyone else does when they're demanding exactly. this to be exactly. uh, carbon neutral and everything <laughs> else to be carbon neutral. Uh, but then you throw into the mix. I was obviously away from the podcast for a couple of weeks, and you were looking at what's happening in the um, uh, coking coal prices. Yeah. If you look now in terms of October futures at $392, and when we were looking and even starting this podcast, that yeah. would have been laughable uh, on things and, and people turning on coal power stations. After well, exactly. It's happening on thermal coal as well. So, yep. you know, um, um, so I just demand up there for both the carbon offsets and the coal. So uh, yeah. is it going to get to stage where these other products are becoming significantly you know, costly part of production yeah. of steel and things that actually decarbonizing is not quite such a mountain to climb anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Once the prices are that high. 
Yeah, especially if you look at what's happening in domestically in China, which is even higher than the FOB Australia contract which exactly. we do here. I, I don't know if you guys noticed uh, today the um, coke and coal uh, contract in China was at uh, limit down the entire day. That's I didn't a, see that uh, yeah, on the domestic. That's because the um, National Development Reform Commission in China had just came out and said they had, they will uh, intervene, and there is zero tolerance for anyone spreading false information or collusion in the market. I, I love it when they say something like that, um, and I'd like to see what their intervention looks like and how they keep the mines open if they uh, if they cap prices. But sure, um, I like to see their kind of more sensitive messaging rather than <laughs> yeah. Here's the sledgehammer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like they've done with the the power rationing and other things that are happening too, uh, but. Anyway, it's definitely something to watch and those, that carbon space. And I guess it's another point to say about the, the Carbon Summit, which we will be hosting on the 24th, 25th of, of November. And we've got a stage of now where people are looking at this, uh, yeah. kind of umming and ahhing. And, you know, we're discussing now about going, well, more and more people are demanding the fact that things are going to be carbon neutral. And yeah, exactly. Easiest Across way to do products. that and so, yeah. is with the kind of carbon offsets compulsory and voluntary that we can do and it's getting in before everyone yeah. does and exactly and it's choosing high. those right projects something we can also help with so yeah absolutely cool but terry what about the uh freight well last week i pointed out that the capes although perhaps having moved up too quickly uh, should find some support from the fundamentals namely that much longer ton mileage on the incremental surplus coal supplies which were coming out of the u.s and the ongoing delays at ports worldwide related to COVID restrictions. However, I will be the first to admit that calling a floor may have been premature. Uh, news in the intervening week became a touch more negative for the big ships uh, on the back of these ongoing production restrictions at Chinese steel mills, the energy shortages in China and worldwide indeed. Um, and in fact, IHS commodities at sea forecasted a 4% year-on-year drop for Q4 Australian iron ore exports. Uh, this is all on the back, of course, of the Chinese production curves. And, you know, I think what's worrying about that is we're already into Q4. So, you know, if there's going to be a 4% drop, um, we need to see it fairly shortly and fairly sharpish. Um, so, um, so watch for that. Um, but, you know, this is something the market seems to be pricing in already. Um, and that did seem to match a slightly slower pace of chartering out of both Australia and Brazil for iron ore stems that we've seen. Although arrivals into China are very healthy, recent chartering activity has been a bit slower, allowing those rates to drop. Uh, we saw that substantial drop on the physical index, you know, of, uh, of nearly 20,000 bucks last week. Um, and uh, interestingly, for the last two days, the Cape size paper has been pushing north again, actually, though, as the pace of the fall on the physical indices is slowing. And the fact, in fact, yesterday, C3 and C5 both turned marginally positive. Um, so the paper moves should not really be a surprise, given the physical falls have now reduced the discount on that front month versus spot uh, from a $28,000 discount last week to about $8,000 this week. Um, so this morning we saw further gains. The November Cape 5 TC valued at 54,750 on FIS Live, while that Q1 is sitting at 28,100. Um, and a busier grain market continued to underpin optimism throughout the week on the Panamaxes. Uh, they had a very different week from the Capes. We saw both basins concluding better levels on the physical. And as a result, we saw rates continue to tick up on Panamax paper, a better than expected index yesterday added a further boost. Uh, we saw 
uh, a push to highs of $40,000 on that uh, front month on the November. Uh, that's nearly a $4,000 premium to the spot. Uh, while the Q1 tested that $31,500 resistance, it failed to break through just yet, sitting at 31400 this morning on FIS Live. Although it is worth noting that at this level, it's sitting above virtually all of its moving averages. So um, quite a bit of support below there at these levels. Uh, let's watch this space. And it has been an incredible year for freight. I mean, we were pointing out the volumes exactly. last week. And yeah. whether we're going to hit that one, it's probably mm -hmm. worth another check when we're at that one million Exactly, exactly. I'll update you next week whether we've actually crossed that one million, uh, one million day mark. But, yeah. uh, but you could bring you in know. a bottle of champagne. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'll share yeah. it with you. <laughs> Sorry, Theo. <laughs> the the curse of not being exactly. quite so close geographically. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, but yeah, overall, a very healthy week for the Panamaxes. A very healthy week on volumes, of course, across both of those. A very features. healthy year. Yeah. Very healthy <laughs> exactly. year. But then moving to our kind of final product of in-depth analysis that we've been looking at this week is uh, obviously the oil and products where we have seen that kind of nice move up across uh, on the Brent, uh, that 2% move up. And now we're healthily in the middle of the kind of 80 to 90 range. Yeah. And I'm sure that there'll be plenty of new sites really mm -hmm. wheeling out again their uh, $100 mm -hmm. a barrel oil stories. Or what we're going to do next year and all those other supply problems and everything else with the returning of the economy will that be you know, usual usual stuff that they'll be putting into these ones and then you get the real outliners that go 130. Mm -hmm. uh, but so we've seen that nice move up and most of those products alongside Brent have also moved up with that price rise however there is one exception and that is the high sulfur fuel oil again and it is really not having uh, much kind of a, a good week in the last as last week and then this week really starting to see some pressure in that market despite that rise up in Brent, where you should have seen a quite healthy move up in the fuel oil, respectively. So looking at the, the very low sulfur fuel oils, you're seeing a moves up of, of nearly 15, 20 bucks on the futures values. The high sulfur has either hardly moved or dropped, hardly moved on the rot and dropped on the Singapore. So what are we seeing in these kind of markets? Well, if you're looking at the crack value, that's obviously the kind of cost to refiners, that is kind of dropped significantly. And we are then... If you look at it, minus 940 was last week, minus 1115 closed last night, or to put it in more real money, about nine bucks drop equivalent in the fuel oil price. Yeah. So then we have seen a kind of a drop down of what we've seen now from summer peaks, electricity demand, what we talked about yeah. last week, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, these high sulfur fuel oil power stations uh, are not going to be there uh, with the same amount uh, going forward. Uh, we've seen good supply as well. Uh, so this is obviously really impacting the market is taking this quite you know, seriously and you've seen that on the drop off in values and it, unless something is going yeah. to significantly change i don't think in terms of uh shipping demand from scrubbed vessels whether that's actually going to take off significantly quickly enough to to change the exactly. numbers you have already exactly. got exactly so you've had those spreads just those implied spreads just blow out absolutely so, yeah. so you saw those on the indexes when we opened 17 percent move on the rock high five 18.8 <laughs> so as i've written in my notes here joy to the ears of any scrubbed fitted um vessels, vessels who have come into their own here the so. tanker vessels especially because you've had yeah. such low rates for a while yeah actually they have really benefited from the decisions yeah. if they had taken that one because of these things and it looks like the things are going to continue with that trend coming in towards the end of the year and that those uh tanker vessels who mm. are fitted are going to really see a significant mm -hmm. um, premium on rates which they're going to get back because of the lower costs. Excellent. 
So that's kind of what's been happening there and something we will continue to keep an eye on what's happening with that high sulfur fuel oil grade compared to the very low sulfur fuel oil. Very low sulfur fuel oil um, has also been impacted by what's happened in one of the Portuguese refineries as well, which has been offline. So that's another factor to throw into things that actually the very low sulfur compared yeah. to it, which is where the spread comes yeah. on, uh, is actually fairly strong. Mm. But uh, other bits of information to bring to you this week. Yesterday's drilling report from the uh, EIA also uh, weighed on, on sentiment for, for crude. The US shale oil production is expected to increase 77,000 barrels per day from October to 8.22 million barrels per day in November uh, with a boost from the Permian region. Um, and we're kind of seeing kind of a lot of these other stories about production, where's it going to come from? And this has been a balancing act for, yeah. for OPEC and all of yeah. its, its producers of how they pitch and how they engineer themselves into the right position coming out mm -hmm. of uh, such a collapse in, in demand that we had uh, last year. Heating oil is quite uh, buoyant. Good demand in China, the world's biggest uh, consumer of obviously crude. Um, depleted coal and natural gas stocks are also spiraling prices there as well. So it's drawing in other yeah, products. Which for, could be forecasts used. of colder temperatures as well for northern China, aren't there? So, yeah. Exactly. All those power plants across Eastern Europe as well uh, and Asia who are going to be using these yeah. kind of older generation of things uh, which will be could use those heating oil demands to uh, to, to sort that yeah. out if we do get a yeah. particularly cold winter and then on the EIA again the weekending uh, the 10th uh, the 8th of October we had a large build in crude again so you are seeing that coming into the US market after weeks and weeks seven eight weeks was it of down, draws. Yeah. we're now seeing builds in crude levels again as we uh, return to a bit more normality but we did have draws in those products and a, a lower refinery utilization again, 86.7% for the slightly delayed okay. because of the US holiday. So again, we'll see what's going to happen this week. Uh, and again, that is no surprise if you also dovetail that with the US oil rig count, um, which has climbed continuously since we hit that real low of 172 uh, in August 14th, 2020. We've now seen that the rig count has uh, gone to 445 uh, of as of October 15th, it was up 12 on the week before. So there's no surprise there if you look at oil output in the US, 11.4 uh, million barrels per day of uh, October, the eighth data. So again, that's from uh, S&P Global Platts, producing mm -hmm. that there. But all these come in, you're seeing that put in in the IA figures, increasing production, yet the price is still yeah. nice and healthy, moving towards the higher 80s levels. Uh, and then if you're looking at specifically on the fuel side from the, the uh, physical, uh, our partners engine, a lot of this stuff you can see on our FIS Live app as well, uh, premium content for our partner stuff. The east of Suez, our prices have come down from those multi-month highs. And it, it is quite interesting as well, if you scroll backwards on, the, mm. on our app, you can get to those levels where fuel oil was at, these similar yeah, levels. Exactly, exactly. On the so, very low sulfur fuel oil, when you had yeah. that high five at $320, yeah. and you had very low sulfur fuel oil in Singapore at over over 600 bucks. Yeah, so. We're at those levels again. And it, it continues to, to move <laughs> up. We're still hovering around those levels. But yeah, we came slightly off uh, for east of Suez on the physical side, but very low sulfur fuel oil remains, remains tight in Singapore, and it's prices dip further below in uh, in other regional ports. Europe and Africa, bunker prices, uh, again, have followed a similar trends, dropping from those highs uh, in for Rotterdam and Gibraltar. Uh, and they're also seeing rough weather that could um, have some problems with Anchorage bunkering in Gibraltar Strait. Okay. 
uh, for yesterday. Uh, on the Americas, and mostly come down with following a, a what happened with, with the Brent uh, in the Americas, and availability remains tight in the uh, Panamanian and several South American ports as well. So there are certain areas where they've seen tight supply for fuel oil uh, on the physical, specifically physical point, rather than necessarily the futures market. But those futures market, uh, yeah. I think highest prices was last week or slightly the end of it. Highest prices since October 2014. Okay. Wow. So on some of those, on the specifically those contracts, especially yeah. the Sing, we've seen some tightness. Yeah. But uh, that's what we've seen. The big story is the, the high five, which is blown yeah, out. Exactly. So it's all about the high fives this week. So uh, anything else from your side, Chris? Nothing for me. Theo? All good on my side. Oh, good. So for all those listening, do listen again next week and uh, another 20% move nearly in the high five. <laughs> exactly. And making uh, all those scrubbered vessel fitted captains uh, rubbing their hands. <laughs> exactly. And enjoy after, what's it been now? Nearly two years of, yeah, well, that was exactly. a good decision. <laughs> you love that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. The, the owner is finally taking some comfort here. So good for them. Good for them. But uh, yeah, do join us again next week. And thank you to Kerry and Theo.